Valentine's Day comes around once a year and you either love it or you hate it. Personally, it's the latter for me, but that just might be because the greatest ghost story is my romantic life. <laughs> for my fellow mushy-gushy haters out there, you might be pleased to know that V-Day wasn't always so warm and fuzzy. There might be a much darker history to the holiday that will make you question everything. Hey guys, welcome back to the Haunted Detective Podcast. I'm your favorite host, Kelsey Childs, but everyone calls me the paranormal Sherlock Holmes. And I'm your favorite co-host, full of love, this fine season special, Miss Pamela J. Are you actually, though? No. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> full of disdain. The horrors persist, and yet I remain silly. <laughs> Help me. Help. Help. Well, as Pamela said, this is not an episode of our normal season-to-season -season podcast, but this is our season special, brought to you specially by Hallmark. <laughs> <laughs> the I'm best Hallmark. <laughs> if only life was like a Hallmark movie, then I could enjoy this holiday. Hallmark movies, I've grown to kind of like them because they're just so dumb. Yeah. Respect to all the actors in them. I get it. Get your bag. But like, oh my God, it's the same story, just different fonts. But yet I still kind of <laughs> like watching them. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, without further ado, let's open the case file on some gruesome Valentine's Day tales. The origin of Valentine's Day has always been shrouded in mystery. Where did it come from? How did it start? These are all questions that historians and anthropologists have been asking themselves for decades. There are a few theories, and none of them lack blood, gore, and, well, just straight-up oddness. When in doubt, go back to the pagans. Just about every holiday we celebrate derives from them. For instance, Christmas, before the church, was Saturnalia, a celebration of the sun and its birth. This is also where the Christmas tree comes from. That sounds like such a pretty holiday. Yeah, Saturnalia. I really like, it has like a nice little jingle to it, you know? Yeah, plus when I hear like a celebration of the sun and its birth, I think like very warm thoughts. You know what I mean? Like warm, yeah. cozy. Like I bet there's a bunch of candles involved. So like I bet the aesthetics are amazing. And Easter was a celebration of the goddess of fertility and spring, Yostra. Enter the bunny rabbit, who is the symbol of fertility in pagan beliefs. Basically, it's safe to say that most of our holidays come from them, and many experts believe that Valentine's Day is no exception. I still get an Easter bunny basket from my mom, and I'm in my 20s. I don't get anything. I get you an Easter bunny basket. <gasps> Would you really? I've never gotten one before. Yeah, I'll get you a little one. I'm gonna post it. I'm gonna post a picture of it. Be like, I'm not Christian or Catholic, but Pamela got me an Easter bunny basket, and I am, needless to say, very pleased. They have these like bunny big ears at like Walmarts, and I think they were really big in the 90s, but it's literally just a massive chocolate bunny. And it, it's something that my parents always got my sister, and I was so, it was so unnecessary, but I loved it so much. I would eat the face first. I always ate the ears. Which like make like I ate the ears first, but like one year the eyes are like made of that weird like hard candy that's like not that good. But you still eat it though. <laughs> <laughs> 
Lupercalia was a violent mess of a celebration. Named after the wolf who raised Romulus and Remus, the two founders of Rome, it is said to have been a long-lasting tradition, even starting as early as the 6th century BC. Really, it was a pagan holiday held and boasted in Rome, specifically Palatine Hill, which holds significance to the legend of the wolf boys. Here, people would rejoice in their sexuality as a group of very naked Roman priests, oh. known as Luperci, sacrificed male goats and dogs. What? Yep. No. No. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pamela. No. I have such a... I can't. If any animals get hurt in anything, movies, turn, I'm turning it off. I don't want to know. Doesadogdie.com is a great resource for those of you who are similar. Yeah, no, fuck all of that. The priest would then adorn the blood of the animal on their foreheads, spread with the knife used in the ritual. Soon after, it would be wiped off with wool soaked with milk. After this, a grand feast would take place where the priest would cut skin off of the goats in strips. They called these thongs. I beg your biggest pardon? (laughs) No, what the fuck? My flabbers are officially gasted. I... Oh, God. I hate all of that. Everything you just said is, I fucking hate that. Well, and it's not even, we're not even at the weirdest part yet. Oh, fan-fucking-tastic. They would run through the streets naked, striking women that they encountered with the thongs, basically whipping them. What? Women? Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck? This is the origin of Valentine's Day? Just hear me out. Hear me out, okay? Oh, my God. A woman's name would then be pulled from a jar. She would be assigned to the man for the rest of the festival, which lasted from the 13th to the 15th of February. It sounds odd and unpleasant, but a lot of people matched would fall in love and stay together until the next festival or until the rest of forever. They would get married. I I really don't want to believe that these women who were getting whipped with thongs that were soaked in milk made of goat skin uh, were falling in love with the naked dudes that were doing that. Uh, it wasn't the ones that were getting whipped. It was the ones who were having their names pulled from jars. But, but wouldn't they at least be seeing that, that they were doing this to other women? Is this not like the Roman dating app? <laughs> I like, I'm fucking horrified. Like, I'm so disgusted and, like, scared (laughs) that this is real. Ew. uh, Okay. Okay, can we just, can we take, like, have a pause for a second? Because I'm personally not surprised because the Romans and the Greeks were the ones that would carve penises into the sidewalk to, like, point to where the brothels were (laughs) and where the bathhouses were. So when I went to Pompeii when I was 13... You're just walking through the street. You're like penis, penis, penis. Ah, penis with balls. Penis. Oh my Small God. penis, big penis. And they're just everywhere. They were I didn't a very know that. Yeah, they were a phallic loving culture. <laughs> okay. Well, you can't say you didn't learn anything new on today's season special. That's for damn sure. To make matters worse, Emperor Claudius II sentenced two men to death on February 14th in the 3rd century, both happening on different years. One of them was beaten to death and then decapitated, but here's the catch. They were named 
Valentine, and one of them was a priest. So we have now two St. Valentines, as opposed to the one we grow up learning about. Oh, okay. That sounds kind of weird. So to further this, we need to talk about the slight changes made to support the church and their message. Basically, the nudity and the animal sacrifice, they were like, yeah, this is not very live, laugh, love of you guys. We're going to like, nope. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey, guys, this is like kind of fucking heinous and we don't really like the vibes that you're putting out. So we're going to change it up. (laughs) (laughs) So who changed it? Like exactly. After the two separate saints were put to death and turned into martyrs for Christians and Catholics, Pope Jalousius I, who had a short four-year reign in Rome, created a law called the Two Powers, where the Pope had control over the emperor when it came to religious and spiritual decisions. His other big act was to absorb Lupercalia into a Christian holiday called Candlemas, which celebrated Jesus and his presence at the Temple of Jerusalem. Although their celebration, which soon moved to the 14th, to commemorate St. Valentine, kept attributes of both Lupercalia and Candlemas. As the years tumbled on, many famous authors, poets, and playwrights, like Shakespeare, turned Valentine's Day into a romantic and less creepy tradition. Okay, I I could see that. Poets and and writers, they, they tend to see the beauty in a lot of things, so... I mean, you're just trying to talk yourself out of being horrified right now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm going to ignore everything that you just said, except for the last part. I'm going to, I, can't, I can't handle this. Um, no, I think it's kind of cool that how over the years, writers were able to take a creative spin on something so like awful and make it into something kind of like cool that we still celebrate today and like. There's even like TV shows that have Valentine's Day specials and like we're doing a Valentine's Day season special. So like it's kind of cool how it's progressed over the years and they did make it a lot less creepy. Before we move on to our next section, which is a little more serious, a little more, I would say, triggering. (laughs) Um, I just I want to know your perspective on Valentine's Day. Do you feel like it's a ploy? from Big Corp to make money from unsuspecting lovebirds? Or do you think it's, you know, something that should be cherished and celebrated and, oh, this is the day of love. This is the day that, you know, my partner can show me how much they appreciate me. They, Because uh, like for me personally, a lot of people that I am mutuals with on TikTok and Instagram, I don't know that they have partners, wives or whatever until Valentine's Day. And then I'm like, wait, this person's in a relationship <laughs> since when? I see both sides. Okay. So I see the side of like, yeah, it totally is a way for like corporations to make money because corporations are going to find a way to make money off of anything. So I completely see that point of view. But I also see like it's a day to kind of force yourself to make time for your partner and like really go and see that movie or go and try that new restaurant. So because you get caught up in the hustle and bustle of life and like you work a nine to five or you work two jobs or hell, even three jobs, you've got kids or you're taking care of a parent or whatever the case may be. But I I think it's kind of cool to have like I don't mean to say like a forced day, but like kind of like forcing yourself, like I'm going to have a good time. Like I deserve to have this time. And you also don't have to be in a relationship. Like that's why there's Galentine's Day. So 
we've had like spinoffs of Valentine's Day so that you can just have it be like about your friends or even people do self-care Valentine's Days and where they're not with anybody and they're just doing a massage by themselves or going to the spa or going to the gym and then getting a massage afterwards or getting your nails done. And so I feel like Valentine's Day has like kind of like progressed into whatever you want it to be. Like it's more about what you want. And then if you're a couple, then it's more of like, oh, what do we, what, what fun thing can we do today? So what I hear you saying is that it's evolved from animal sacrifice. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, really wh- how it started was a day of, you know, I, I would say spiritual and sexual worship. So it wasn't even a day about finding love. It was a day about reveling in the innate human desire and sexuality. I think, I mean, Minus the animal sacrifice portion, I think that it's cool that the Romans were so comfortable, and the pagans too, they were so comfortable with their own sense of self that they had a day just to celebrate their sexuality and their, like that very human, just that very human thing, right? And I just, you know. They showed those emotions. Yeah, and I I think if there's anything to be taken away from the history of Valentine's Day, it would be that. Yeah. A day of love or a day of desperation, blood, and gore? There are a lot of cases that we can talk about that happen on Valentine's Day, but more importantly, I think that we should use this chance to talk about something very important. A case, that is. One that could have been prevented if not due to improper victim advocacy and police work. Listen, we have absolutely nothing against the cops, but as true crime creators, we see a lot of inadequate investigations and especially me having my grandmother murdered by a serial killer and the fact that it wasn't solved and he went on to murder many more women because the police departments weren't communicating with each other and because the detective on her case wanted it to be my grandfather that had done it to open and shut the case. I have issues with those types of police officers. And I know Pamela and I have talked about it in length. So if you're a cop, if you're living in a cop family, whatever it might be, we have nothing against police. We have we have something against police negligence and the habits created within investigative forces that still have to be prevented and solved, which is why we're talking about this case today. Yeah. And what I always like to remind people is that there are bad people in every profession. There's bad construction workers, there's bad police officers, there's bad doctors, bad dentists. It's just something that happens due to people being human. But unfortunately, the police have a lot of power and a lot of control. And so a lot of bad police work kind of gets swept under the rug. But but this case, it brings to light nothing but negligence when it comes to women and our safety and the legitimacy of our fears and what happens to us with men. I'm issuing a trigger warning for me and Pamela mostly. We're both victims of violent stalking that have kind of left us traumatized for life. And for me personally, it's the reason that I don't like TV shows like you, nor do I appreciate any sort of glamorizing of these kinds of crimes. With that in mind, I will continue. Tiana Notice was being stalked. She had just graduated from the University of Hartford as a political science major with dreams of becoming a lawyer. It was a dream that her and her mother shared. 
Although as it is articulated in most news articles, it was something that her mom specifically wanted her to do. In 2007, she met James Carter Jr. on MySpace, and the pair soon planned a date in a very public place, of course. Tiana was smart. She was a very well-educated, well-mannered girl. Even though Tiana did not want to be in a relationship, James told her a grandiose story that fit into her personal life plan and goals about his life that convinced her to go on a second date with him. And from there, they ended up in a year-long relationship. But no one knew the extent of how bad things were until the two filed restraining orders against each other. Tiana, however, began receiving threatening emails over the course of two days that were staged to look like they were coming from Jessica Bandera, James's ex. But... Tiana knew better. On January 13th, she went to police with the emails and her fears that James was planning on doing something terrible. The police refused to do anything as there wasn't substantial proof, which I don't agree. (laughs) Yeah, she came in with the emails. She came in with the emails and if she gave the cops access to her email, they could have tracked the IP address, which isn't a very big task to do. So to me, that just screams, we don't give a fuck. Yeah. Especially with her coming in, like, cause I assume that she either like printed them out. Like that's, I'm just guessing that she printed them out and gave them to them. Like, here's a screenshot essentially of the emails that I've been getting. So I don't know how that's not considered substantial proof. Later that month, James filed for yet another restraining order and the pair both went to court to plead their case. Tiana, being the smart and resourceful woman that she was, brought proof of James's abuse. Basically, she brought the emails. While he only came with himself to claim that she was harassing him. And another quick side note is that a very common form of abuse from a partner, especially a partner trying to show dominance or, you know, have a leg over. So a really, this is a really common form of abuse. What James is doing is, you know, bringing her to court, getting restraining orders, kind of dwindling her legitimacy and making her feel helpless and weak and showing dominance over the situation. It's just, I, I guess you could call it a form of gaslighting almost is that he's trying to make himself look better in this situation. Like, no, like it's not me. Like she's crazy. She's harassing me. And so it's very narcissistic. We're not saying that men don't get harassed or abused, so don't mistake us for saying that. We're saying that in this very particular instance, James doing what he did was a form of his abuse, and it Mm -hmm. was a physical representation of probably the toxicity that he brought to their relationship. On January 31st, James brought a flyer with Tiana's picture, name, and number on it to the police, claiming that she had put it up in front of his house to further his claims of harassment. What? And of course, guess what the police did? Nothing. No, they investigated it. What? So Tiana brings emails to the police and they say, no, no, I mean, it's not proof. But James brings a flyer that makes no sense because why would Tiana put her picture, name and number on like like in front of his house and police were willing to investigate that? I don't know how that would be a form of harassment like even if she even if she did do that which she didn't um he definitely probably put that up there but how would that be a form of harassment of putting your own picture your own name and your own number on it i don't know i you know it was when i first read that section i was like that's a weird thing to bring 
it's almost giving that he went to the police station to report her missing. Yeah. It, and then changed his mind. That's really that. Honestly, when you first said that, like when you first said that entire sentence, I thought that I heard you incorrectly. Yeah. I was like, why would she put her own shit on there? It's weird. It's that that one got me. There's really no further details on that, but it's just weird. Okay, so the the police investigated it though. Nothing came of it. Interesting. It was February when Tiana and her ex of five years reconciled. James somehow found out and the abuse got worse. He slashed all of her tires on February 7th, but with no evidence that it was him, the police again wouldn't do anything. And mm, this pisses me off so much. This pisses me off so much because, again, they're willing to investigate his flyer, but not her emails or her tires getting slashed. Yeah, that's really, really fucking frustrating. But her dad was not wanting to play around. He set up security cameras at her house. One week later, on the 13th, James called her and Tiana's co-worker was witness to this. She called the Waterbury police because she worked in that town and they didn't believe her that she actually had a restraining order. So she had to get the Plainville department to fax them a copy. Two police departments not communicating, two stations that were 18 miles away from each other. So her having to drive from Waterbury to Plainville was an extent and period of time that she was vulnerable and in danger and they didn't care. They didn't believe that she had a restraining order? Yeah. Dude, that is so, like, that's a slap in the face. I'm I'm assuming, because from what I understand, courts give you a physical copy of the restraining order. Uh-huh. And I'm assuming that she brought that in because, again, I've said this many times, she's not stupid. Yeah, we're also not talking about like the Stone Ages. Like this is 2007. There's computers. So yeah, I'm like, there has to be some type of digital, like some form of digital copy. Like I, I'm granted, I'm not super well uh, educated on what the police technology and court technology was like back in 2007. But I, I imagine that it wasn't the Stone Ages. So I find it ridiculous that they were just like, oh, no, I don't really believe you. Like, okay, wow, thanks so much for that help, guys. I'm actually looking it up because I didn't even think about that. I was like, there has to be some sort of uh, some sort of digital copy or at least a record of it. Like every um, everything that goes in and out of the court has a document ID number. In Connecticut, there's actually the protection order registry. When do, when did it do you know when it started? Let me see. Did this happen in Connecticut? Yeah, uh, it did. As as you may be aware, the protection order registry has been operational since July 26, 2002. Okay. Since then, all protective restraining and standing criminal restraining orders are being entered into the registry on the date of insurance and subsequently available to you through Collects File 20. File 20 also includes certain pre-trial and probationary no contact orders as well as no contact orders from the board of parole to the department of correction and the psychiatric security review board so yes it was all digitized okay so then that furthers my point of this is just ridiculous like this is inexcusable yeah plainville and waterbury are both in connecticut that's crazy So it's not like she was in a different state. 
Yeah. Like it was 18 miles away from each other. Yeah. It's crazy. The next day was Valentine's Day and Tiana had another bit of evidence to show the cops. She had come home from work to find a letter from James saying, quote, Tiana, forgive me. I never cheated on you. If I'm lying, may God take my life. Forgive me for everything else I have done. End quote. That is... Mm, I don't like that. Police told her that they would arrest James for violating the restraining order, but that's not at all what they did. They called him and told him, if you violate your restraining order again, we'll arrest you. What? So they made one promise to her and did another thing. Tiana had left the police station feeling safe, but she was the furthest thing from secure in her own home. At 9 p.m., James broke into Tiana's home and stabbed her multiple times. By 9.41, she called 911 screaming, quote, I'm bleeding to death. My ex-boyfriend stabbed me to death. Neighbors saw James's car speeding away after hearing her screaming. She died at the hospital and James was sentenced to 60 years in prison, which was the maximum time that you could be sentenced in Connecticut in 2007. It turns out that over the course of the past few weeks before she was killed, Tiana had made over 30 complaints to the police. Oh my God. 30. That's not an insignificant number. This is one of those cases. And first off, I just want to say that whoever has ever said to anybody, well, why didn't you just call the police? Why didn't you just leave? Why didn't you just do this? Why didn't you do that? Tiana's case. Now, granted, I know a lot of police officers and I know a lot of good police officers. These cops failed Tiana. Yeah. She called not once, not twice, not even three times, 30 times she called the police. She did everything right. Her dad helped her with putting security cameras up. She got her tires slashed. She had coworkers witnessing this. This case is heartbreaking for many reasons, but one of them being that it was preventable. No, it really was. And it's just, it's really, it gets to me because, you know, like I said, I had a stalker. I was in high school, way too young to have to deal with that and go through that. And obviously I'm not going to say any names, but you know, it, it, it seems, it seems insignificant. It seems, oh, just get over it. Oh, just get through it. But you know, Mm -hmm. seeing someone that looks like him, he tried to follow me at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, I had a full on panic attack and I was told by someone again, not specifying any names or people, but I was told by someone, oh, it's not that big of a deal. He, he lives in a different state than you. But we've seen so many cases where person goes, person A, stalker, goes to a different state all the way across the country to access person B, victim. And it's just, you know, there are way too many, way too many cases like this. And it's just, it's sad because when I was going through this, you know, this kid was assigned a youth officer. And I remember walking into the police department, which was across from the library where his mother, who prided herself off of being a social pariah, would drop him and his sister, who were both adopted from an orphanage in Russia, which it's just, it's, his story is sad. I have no sympathy for him, but it is a sad story. She would drop him off and they would be there from 1.30 or 2.30 whenever school ended until like 5.30 p.m. when the library closed. So I'm walking into the police station because 
I was on Skype with this kid and he pulls out a gun and he starts threatening a landscaper on his neighbor's lawn. Oh my God. And, you know, this is when we were just starting to become aware of school shootings, right? This was 2011, 2012. It was really in like, this is getting bad and we were watching this get bad. Mm -hmm. So of course I went to the school. The school said, go talk to his youth officer. And I said, excuse me, what? So, you know, I go, I talk to his youth officer and as I'm walking into the police department, he's standing across the street, staring at me, walking to the police department. And it was terrifying. Like all the blood drained out of my body because he would not stop messaging me. He would not stop trying to contact me. And the youth officer looks at me and my mom and he goes, I have a daughter. So I'm going to say this off the books. He's dangerous. You're going to break up with him. Do it and do it quick. Do not let contact go on. He's dangerous. He has access to sniper rifles. His grandfather has taught him how to sharpshoot. So be careful and be safe. Jesus. And so while this is happening, the cop pulls my mom aside and says, don't get a restraining order. It's going to make matters worse. Which at the time I was like, I don't get it. But seeing what happens to all of these victims who have restraining orders, it does only aggravate the situation. So that leaves me with the question, what do we do in that circumstance, you know? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, this kid ended up, you know, blowing up my Skype. He was messaging me on Skype, Instagram, Facebook, text from fake numbers all that night over and over. And it didn't stop for hours. And I ended up saying, leave me alone. Never talk to me again. Mm -hmm. And his mom called me and she goes, if you ever talk to my son again, I will fucking kill you. And that's when the police went in raided his house, found his mom, probably stoned, but they didn't have a warrant to run a drug test on her. And they found BB guns painted to look like real guns. Oh my gosh. He had a youth officer because he had attacked a kid in school with a BB gun painted to look like a real gun. So again, I'm being told as this teenager, don't file a restraining order. And for the next several years, this boy stalked me. And he wanted me to meet him out back. I don't know if he was standing outside of my house with a sniper rifle. I never bothered to look because I was terrified. So I guess my question for you, Pamela, because, you know, you've worked in law enforcement, you've worked with cold case teams. What are some resources that victims of stalking and, you know, people who have been through what we have been through, what, what can we do without putting our lives in danger? Because what's the point of having the system of a restraining order if you can't use it and it puts you in more danger. I guess the best thing that I can recommend is there's this website that's called uh, Spark and it's um, they have a whole section of uh, what to do if you are being stalked. Now, Spark does not, they don't provide direct services to victims of stalking, But they do have uh, the Victim Connect Resource Center. They have the National Domestic Violence Hotline, uh, the HOPE Hotline. But uh, I guess tips for people who are experiencing um, stalking, victims of stalking, uh, and they, they list this all out on their website. So one is trust your instincts. Uh, It says victims of stalking often feel pressured by friends or family to downplay the stalker's behavior but stalking poses a real threat of harm and your safety is paramount. Two is call the police. Uh, If you feel like you're in in any immediate danger, explain why the stalker's actions are causing you fear and keep a record. Save evidence when possible. 
and get connected with a local victim service provider who can assist you in exploring your options as well as discuss a safety plan. Um, Obviously, I think we already know this, but stalking can be very dangerous. Stalkers can threaten you, attack you, sexually assault, or even unfortunately kill their victims. So there's no perfect psychological or behavioral profile. And like I said, I'm getting this information from Spark. So if you want to read this for yourself, you can check it out on their website. Um, But stalkers' behaviors escalate. And sometimes you can't really tell when that's going to happen. Sometimes, like in the case of my stalker, you know, he was stopped for months at a time. Mm -hmm. And then it would pick back up like crazy. And you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can go into a police department. You have the right to walk into your local sheriff's department, police department, Metro City Police Department, whatever it is, wherever you live, and request to speak to a detective. Yeah, you absolutely, yeah, you absolutely can. Yes. Um, you also have the right to call 911. If you feel like you are in danger, you have the right to call 911. That's what they're there for. Um, Don't ever feel like you have to downplay what's happening to you to make other people comfortable. Um, What you're going through is completely valid. How you're feeling about it is completely valid. And it's important to recognize that there are steps that you can take, but not every situation is perfect. And thankfully, there are a lot of resources. Spark isn't the only database. I mean, oh no, there's tons. We've come a long way. Uh, since 2007, unfortunately, not far enough. But, you know, even the Department of Justice has a National Center for Victims of Crime hotline, which is 855-484-2846. They have the Strong Hearts Native Helpline for Indigenous people, which is 844-762-8483. And They have an entire page on it saying what is stalking, how to get help for victims and report stalking. If you know someone who is being stalked and they don't feel comfortable calling, but, you know, they feel comfortable with you calling, being a good friend is always a great idea. So, yeah, this is justice.gov, which is the Office on Violence Against Women Department, which is a thing now. And I think that's great. They also link you to the Stalking Prevention Awareness and Resource Center which is what Pamela just was talking about, which is stalkingawareness.org. Yeah. And just to, just to throw out a couple more numbers, there's Victim Connect Resource Center, which I previously mentioned, which is 855-484-2846. There's also the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is 1-800-799-7233, and the National Sexual Assault Hotline, which is uh, 800-656-HOPE. And also, just like a really quick side note, if you're not a victim of stalking, but you think that someone you know might be, or you think someone you know might be a victim of domestic violence, of sexual assault, of abuse, you can call these hotlines and you can ask them, for advice on what to do as someone who suspects this might be happening to a friend or family member of yours. So these hotlines are not just for victims. They're for people looking to help victims as well. If you see something, please say something. Yeah. I mean, I know that this is a bit of a heavy episode. Um, A lot of you have on TikTok specifically have been asking for my story. So 
there it is. <laughs> um, I'm very open about it, but you know, you're allowed to ask people if something happened, but be conscious that, you know, a lot of victims of stalking have been encouraged not to talk about it, have been encouraged to downplay it, like Pamela said. So don't pressure, always be an ear and always tell them, validate it. Don't just tell them, you know, I believe you, validate that it, that it happened. And I just, the downplaying of crimes against women is still so prevalent in society today. We could have gone through a million cases on today's season special about stalking and victims and, you know, murders on Valentine's Day because people are just fucking crazy, man. And, you know, the biggest common denominator with these one-off murders is that the victims always knew that something was wrong, but no one listened to them. So if you know someone that is seeming off, looks like they need help, they have unusual bruises, or let's say you're, you have a daughter or a son who, who suddenly becomes reclusive and has violent outbursts, you are more than allowed to call a hotline, consult a therapist, because sometimes letting them do it in their own time is important, but sometimes they just need to know, hey, daughter, hey, son, hey, friend, if something bad happened to you, it's okay. It's not your fault. You can come to me in your own time and you can talk about it. And I don't think there's enough of that that happens. I agree. I think it's heavy. I think this topic is very heavy. And I think it's also extremely important to anyone who survived domestic violence or stalking or is currently going through it. You are not alone. And while there is some nice things, while that's nice to know that you're not alone, you're still having to go through it. But there are resources, there are friends, there's even strangers who understand what you're going through and you will get through it. There are also support groups. I mean, I know, I know we're throwing out a lot of resources at you, but you know, there are domestic violence support groups, there are stalking victim support groups. And sometimes, you know, group therapy is the most helpful way to process a trauma because trauma makes you feel alone. Trauma makes you feel empty and like the world is this cold, dark place and no one has a light. But the reality of the situation is that you can find that light and you can find that light through camaraderie with other people. It's why, you know, the VA hosts groups for veterans. And I just, you know, you are worth getting help for what has happened to you and what happened to you or has happened to you or your friend, your family, your kid, whatever it is, is valid and you're allowed to hurt over it. You're allowed to have emotions over it and you're allowed to talk about it. So basically over here at Haunted Detective, we are telling you this Valentine's Day that we love you and you are worth it. And you're not alone. And you're not alone. You are not alone. So if you're struggling this Valentine's Day, even if this holiday triggers some sort of trauma for you, if something bad happened to you, if you went through a breakup, whatever it is, trauma is trauma. Someone who drowned in six feet of water versus someone who drowned in 12 feet of water, they both drowned. There's no difference there. So our goal is to create a safe space for you guys here. And I hope that we can do that and that this episode helps you know and understand that you are heard and loved and understood. 
So go and treat yourself this yeah. Valentine's Day. Maybe get your nails done or go treat yourself to a new outfit. Yeah, dress up cute. Go go take yourself out to dinner. You know what my favorite thing is? Is to put on a cute outfit, put on makeup, and go to like a cafe, a coffee shop, a bar oh, even, or even like yes. a nice restaurant with a book. Yes. I just take myself on a date. I love it. My romantic life, my love life is a fucking ghost town. <laughs> So, you know, I got my book. I love it. I got my fairy smut. <laughs> I love it. No, but seriously, take yourself out. You deserve it. We're going to close the case file for today. And I hope this episode wasn't too triggering and too heavy for you guys. But remember, you can always reach out to us on Instagram, haunted.detective, or on TikTok, Haunted Detective Podcast. So don't be a stranger. We love hearing from you guys and we love hearing your stories as well. Don't forget to also maybe leave us a nice review, please. Like a little Valentine's Day gift. (laughs) A nice heart. A nice little hearty heart. But thank you guys so much. Don't forget that every Monday our episodes come out at midnight. So hurry on home, click that download button and show us some love. We love you. Bye. Bye.